Hi, this is John Lynch, Chief Investment Strategist for LPL Financial, and welcome to this edition of LPL's Market Signal Podcast. I'm on today with my good friend and colleague, Ryan Dietrich. Hey, Ryan. John, hello. Good morning. How's it going over there? Pretty well, thanks. How are you? Doing good. I mean, I know we're going to talk about it, but boy, the first half of the year is over. Absolutely. Where is 2019 going? been pretty good for stocks, as we'll talk about. But, John, are you missing part of a finger down there? Nope, or am I nope. Seeing something? I was very careful lighting off all the M80s Good over the 4th of July break, thankfully. So, 10 fingers, 10 toes. Grateful for that. That's good. Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun on July 4th. My I've talked about before, my youngest son, Gus, we were at a friend's house, and they had, like, a little deck, and then, like, 10 foot above that, another deck. So, the kids were jumping off of 16 foot tall into the water off the second deck on top, and we were all just, parents were just hanging out. We told the kids to stop jumping off, and all of a sudden, we heard this terrible thud. It was Gus. He was up there, apparently, and fell straight down. So, he hit the second deck, which was, I don't know, 10, 13 foot beneath the first one. I, we... I first thought he might have just died because any kid that fell and hit that, the way the sound, it was terrible. But being Gus, does the story was, get better? Yeah, it does get better. It was a happy we ending call a state here. Agency. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, well, gee whiz, maybe we should. Yeah, maybe we should cut this part out. But no, we, we were watching him. But um, anyway, but he was fine, uh, incredibly. Luckily, he had his life jacket on. He hit on his chest, and the life jacket probably saved him in a big way. So it's just. I don't know. My, Get these my, kids sugared up. I it, don't miss those days. It's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. So we had a, that kind of was a little damper on the middle of July 4th, but overall we had an awesome time with our friends um, in our neighborhood for July 4th. Uh-huh. And the kids survived and had a good old time. <laughs> they did survive. Yes, sir. And mom did too after that. So uh-huh. we, we did good though. It was fun. All <laughs> right. Good deal. Good deal. Well, as uh, tumultuous as your 4th of July weekend might have been, uh, markets similarly were as tumultuous at times during the first half of uh, 2019. Uh, this is our first call in a couple of weeks, right? Because we did do the mid-year outlook call uh, podcast, and uh, mm-hmm. you know we're just back now. So grateful to be on again and 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 sharing with our listeners. But I think really be appropriate to talk about you know what happened in the first half of the year, what the market typically has done. You know, you and the team, Ryan, have done a great job assessing what we've seen. Um, in previous examples and how the market responds after strong first halves. And then let's talk about some of the basics. You know, we had a really good jobs report. There's some concern whether or not that will cause the Fed to even act at the end of July now. And looks like we're going to have a new head of the ECB. Yes. And we got second quarter earnings. So there's a, there's an awful lot to cover today. So why don't we just start off with a, a topic for our weekly market commentary, which is available on the LPL Research site, uh, taking stock at the halfway mark. Why don't you share a little bit about that, Ryan? That's right, John. You talk about this year. I mean, I've said it before. I think, you know, you had the worst fourth quarter since financial crisis, worst December since the Great Depression. And now all of a sudden, at the midway point, the S&P is up 17.5% for the year. The best start to a year since 1997. I think that's surprised a lot of people. The same thing, John. The other thing in the headlines that I think has caught a lot of people off guard is the move in yields globally and in mm-hmm. the U.S. 10-year down around 2%, lowest since I guess it was November of 2016. So you talk about when everyone's on one side of the boat. I, I We mentioned it then, and it's just in the back of my head now. At the start of the year, Bloomberg had a poll, 23, I'm sorry, 62 out of 63 economists looked for a higher 10-year yield at the end of June. When everyone's on, exactly, and yeah. everyone's on one side of the boat. And for what it's worth, we expected a higher, higher trending yield and higher ten-year yield as well. But those are the two things that happened. Stocks were extremely strong. You had a surprising move to the lower downside in yields globally, which did help uh, fixed income assets as well. Uh, so, John, what was your bigger surprise? The moving yields, moving stocks, or what do you think caught you off guard? The, well, we were we were pretty confident in December when. Uh, the mark the market was collapsing we were that, that giggle loan, maybe you loan, weren't as certain as you think with that loan, giggle no yeah. lone voices in the wind yes. 
but we were fairly confident that the market would re would would rebound. We were emphatic, uh, stating, uh, and we looked like idiots there for a few weeks. That's why I'm chuckling. Right. But we were very confident that it was a bear market without recession, and uh, we had we struggled to justify the severity or the ferocity of the sell-off. But when you factor in the concern about trade, the misunderstanding combined with potentially poor messaging from the central bank. And then we had the worst outflows from hedge funds in December, the worst month in, what, 12 right. years or so. So, you know, you, you, you take those three things and it was awful, an awful month, obviously. But we were pretty confident that the fiscal tailwinds would help drive up yields higher. And when we say fiscal tailwinds, we were looking at, you know, the reduced regulatory environment. We were looking at an improved government spending environment in addition to the tax cuts from the December 2017 jobs tax cuts and jobs acts. We thought all those things would would result in market interest rates nudging higher in addition to the the growing budget deficit. What ended up happening though was that move in the 10 year from 260 to 2% is without doubt mm -hmm. the big surprise for me and for our team right. uh, for you and I relative to the 10 year treasury. That move really that was the stunner of the first half. The market is clearly telling the Fed that given trade uncertainty, policy is too tight. That's one message. A, a second message is that when we see what's happening with rates globally, with slower global growth, while we're declining a pace of growth, it would appear in the second quarter relative to the first, it pales in comparison to the, the slowing tendencies we're seeing globally. Mm -hmm. So consequently, the market is telling us that, uh, or telling the Fed that, the interest rate differential between whether it be rates in Japan, whether it be rates in Europe, compared to what we're seeing domestically are, are far too wide. Right. Now, getting back to those fundamentals, you know, you talk about earnings, now things are going, but look at P multiples right here. You know, at the midway point, the forward P on the S&P is right around 17. It's a little bit higher than a long-term average of about 15 and a half, but not by that much. And when you consider the fact inflation, we've got some big inflation data later this week with the CPI and PPI, but most inflation data continues to come in less than 2%. You've got the 10-year yield at 2% or sub-2%. Maybe a 17 PE multiples we've discussed in this week's weekly market commentary, taking stock at the halfway mark. 17 multiple really is pretty fairly valued, is it not? Absolutely. I think that... Uh you know, a lot of the work we've done has shown that in a sub-2% inflation environment, mm -hmm. we need not believe we're swinging for the fences talking about a 17.5 or an 18 multiple. When we look at our fair value on the market, we, we're looking at a 17.5 PE right. on, call it $170 in earnings, which would be fairly valued at 3000 on the S&P 500. We got to 29.95. I noticed one day last week, right before the holiday. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've backed off a little bit from that. So we're, we're within the range of fair value. Uh, many, many listeners may remember that in late March, early April, we pulled back from an overweight on equities back to a market weight, which right. is not totally bailing on the asset class by any stretch. What we call uh, growth with income, otherwise known as a balanced account, still has 60% equity. So we've been riding that wave. And now we'll just have to see with clarity on trade, with clarity on the Fed, if there's a meaningful impact to corporate earnings per share, we'll, we'll reassess that. But as of now, it doesn't appear that anything on trade or anything from the Fed will cause earnings estimates to increase dramatically. So we're, mm -hmm. we're likely sticking with that. So if we if we run appreciably from here, we may have to go to underweight. If we, we hang on and bounce back, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. But right now, a market weight on equities, call it 60% in a balanced account. Right. Now, you mentioned equities, John. 
So you got the S&P flirting with new all-time highs as we speak, best start since 1997. But, you know, take a longer-term look at things. The S&P really isn't that much higher than it was in January of 2018 after a record 15 straight months of gains for the S&P ending in January. Last week, last month of gains was Jan 18. So now one could argue after the 20% correction and different volatility, we've just gone sideways for 18 months yeah. catching up for that big rally. Um, you know, maybe it's time that, you know, market just needs a break and we can kind of continue this upward trend. What do you think there? Thank you, Sunshine. I do believe that's something to keep in mind for investors, right? Because, mm -hmm, right. you know, 17% gain year to date can be reviewed, can be viewed as a pyrrhic right. victory, right? Exactly. You know, and uh, if you look at the year over year data or an 18 month data, uh, I think it's more reasonable when you think about evaluation. So I don't want to get too caught up, you know, doing backflips in the end zone mm -hmm. for a 17% year to date gain right. because we, you know, struggled so much in the fourth quarter of last year. So I think it's really important, as we wrote in the Mid-Year Outlook and shared a lot on the, the most recent podcast, that the, the focus on the fundamentals is really the key here. Because if you're looking at, as you mentioned just a few moments ago, the low inflationary environment, the absence of a threatening multiple, and we always emphasize that you should not look at multiples myopically. We should look at them on a relative basis. And when you look at interest rates at the 10 years at 2% today. And since World War II, it's been 65 or 7%. Mm -hmm. If inflation is at 2% or less today, and since World War II, it's been 35 or 4%, you know, those are two very strong cases for PE expansion. We just don't want, you know, something we discussed on the last podcast. We don't like a market that's giddy about liquidity, right? right? And we don't want multiples to expand just because money's going to be free. We want multiples to expand because... Uh, economic growth is sound, interest rates are not at a threatening level, and corporate profits can grow at at least an historically average pace of growth. Right. Now, John, you know, some of the headlines we've seen the last couple of weeks is global yields continue to decrease. Over $13 trillion of sovereign debt now has a negative yield. And what's that kind of had? Well, gold's breaking out to seven-year highs. That's one thing that's potentially benefited from that. But look at over the past year what's really led you know, the U.S. markets, it's REITs, real estate, it's uh, the utilities, kind of healthcare is in there. Some more defensive names that kind of are a little more interest rate sensitive. Um, you know, is that a warning sign, you think, that maybe you have, quote unquote, the wrong leadership, not the cyclicals leading at all time highs? Yeah, it tells me it's, uh, you know, I, I've always hated the term cautiously optimistic, right? Because exactly. it's about as wishy-washy as you can get. But this is a market that's cautiously optimistic if staples and REITs and utilities uh, are driving this thing. So several investors have reached out to us and saying, well, you know, you're, you're saying fair value of 3000 the S&P, we're twenty nine ninety five. Mm -hmm. Why don't you sell now? I'm like, well, we're not, you know, we're, we're still looking at some fundamentals. I do suspect when you look at history, particularly after, you know, a strong first half, to the year, we typically see a pullback in the, what, 8 or 9% range? That's right, John. So, you know, when you have a 10% gain for the year at the midway point, the rest of the, going back to the 1950s, happened 20 times, the rest of the year is higher 80% of the time, up over 7% on average, which is real, which is better than about a 4% average uh, second half of the year return. Where it gets interesting, though, when you're up 15% or more, which, again, we were, so you're really stretched. That's only happened a handful of times, and the return the rest of the year is up only about 3% of the time, mm -hmm. and you see an average return pullback of about 12%, which is larger. So long story short, 
a big start to a year. In the mid-90s, we saw a couple times, and yes, that bull market kept going. But then there were some times in the 80s, you hear 87, and everyone hears, oh my God, 87. Well, S&P was up 40% for the year in August. We don't think we're in that scenario. But still, a really big start to year does put the ball on the tee for maybe a little bit larger correction, maybe even a 10% correction in the second half of this year. And then if that were to happen, John, we think this bull market's alive. Should they go in defensive names or go more cyclically on that pullback? You know, oddly enough, wouldn't be so bad if we get a correction because uh, I think that, you know, and what could be the catalyst – you know, say the Fed only does 25 base points and the market's expecting 50. We've seen in many instances this year, and really since the Fed has been so accommodative, uh, a buy the rumor, sell the news type mindset for investors. So say we get a 25 base point cut from the Fed uh, later July, uh, maybe the market's just disappointed by that. They were hoping for more, and maybe that's the catalyst for the next correction. Maybe you have that uh, simultaneous with earnings with the second quarter only supposed to be flat. And if you don't get the typical three or 400 basis point beat that we've been seeing over the last several years, maybe those are one two, the one-two punch that could take this market down a little bit. But personally, in an odd way, I'd almost welcome that kind of move mm-hmm. because you get clarity on where the Fed's going to be. They're not going to be obsessively accommodative, but they could also, that could run commensurate with a, a trade at least progress on trade that could help boost earnings estimates. At that point, you know, it's conceivable that you see cyclicals lead on the comeback, and we'd be much happier with an S&P at 3,000 with cyclical leadership as opposed right. to the defensive leadership. All right. Now, John, one thing that caught my attention, and you didn't know I was going to ask you this, but I saw – are you a Pink Floyd fan by chance? You ever grew up with Roger Waters, yeah, man. Yeah, so see, David Gilmore sold his guitar collection for $21 million, I don't know, a week or two ago. You see some other commodities, some baseball cards and things that are being sold at really high levels. People are worried, oh, my goodness, look at all this liquidity, the collectibles. I mean, you, you we can cherry pick, trust me here, but you tend to see some of these things near market tops. I mean, is the fact that – Pink Floyd selling their guitars. Should we be worried about that? Well, you have to look at some of the the artwork going to Christie's yeah, and Sotheby's point. and some of these other things, right. right? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but it's a it's a sign of liquidity, mm-hmm. and um, you know you have to be mindful on what people are willing to pay for certain things. So right. um, I'm always I'm always looking at that. You know, it used to be. Uh, the value of the hack license for New York City cabs mm, or the price right. of a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. Right. Those were some of the excesses that, you know, old geezers like me would look at over the years. But now with ride sharing and with global trading, it's not necessarily the New York Stock Exchange anymore. So consequently, they're not as accurate. But when you when you look at anything bid up, I mean, just look at cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're up 50 percent in the past month or six weeks, right? Because there's just been this attitude that, well, the Fed is going to double down on this. And you talk about M2, money supply, and a three-month change. Not to get too geeky here. It's the highest it's been in years. So M2 is starting to increase. Liquidity is clearly increasing, and it is working its way to other assets. But, John, let's finish things up with this, our weekly economic commentary. We did take a look at the jobs, strong jobs number that we had, and then we'll kind of talk about how that impacts the Fed and ECB and potential policy. So, Mm -hmm. I'll set it up for you. So the jobs number, John, in June came in at 224,000, much better than expected. The number in May was less than 100,000. Now, what I thought was interesting, I looked at these numbers, you got to go back seven years. The last time we had two straight months, sub 100,000. So you get these poor, a poor print, and then it comes roaring back, really. And that's exactly what we saw. I mean, you talk about the economy. Services are weakening. Manufacturing is weakening. Consumer confidence is iffy. I saw... um. 
What came out this morning, if you had a chance? Small um, business small confidence business came confidence. in a little bit lower. You know, but the one thing that's really holding together the U.S. economy is clearly the employment picture. It still looks right. really good. What was your takeaway from the jobs number last Friday? How can we quote Yoda here by saying, you know, a single data point does not a trend make? There you go. And looking at uh, the May jobs report of what, 74, 75,000 yes, jobs with right 224 mm-hmm. on the June jobs report, that tells me we've created 300,000 jobs over the past two months, which is 150,000 jobs on average, which is, yes, below the 200 or 190 that we've averaged over the past you know couple of years. But nonetheless, 150 is still above the critical birth-death ratio. And when you're seeing 150, that's still good enough growth to generate right. consumption growth with 3% wage gains, consumption growth in that 2.5% range going forward. Yeah, in our weekly economic commentary, we did note that the past 12 months, jobs have averaged 192,000 the past year. Mm-hmm. It's averaged 175,000 during this 10-year economic cycle. So even the past year, jobs have been a little bit better. But the big thing, though, everyone was talking about potentially a 50 basis point cut at the end of this month on July 31st with the Fed. I think there's a one in three chance of that, according to Fed Funds Futures. After the jobs number, it was less than 5%. Right. But there's still near, I hate to say near certainty, compliance doesn't like that. And anyone that does this for a living, you don't want to go that route. But Fed's fund futures are giving a near certainty of a 25 basis point cut. Should that be what we're on the lookout for in a couple uh, weeks? Yeah, I think it, it's rare that I agree with Fed funds futures because- <laughs> right. you I thought you going to say we, you agree we, with me. <laughs> we look to that. Yeah, it's even rarer that I agree with you. Uh, yeah. But looking at, looking at the data, looking at what the curve is saying on the short end in particular with those variant inversions throughout the curve, the market has sent a strong signal that policy is too tight given the trade uncertainty. So I think we're going to see a 25 basis point cut, and it's very conceivable that's not going to be enough for the market. That's priced for perfection. Right. I mean, do you think so? We get a 25 basis point cut. Will it be the next Fed meeting six weeks later, or maybe they'll go deeper into the fall to kind of see where trade stands? I mean, wh- wh- what's yeah, your I, feeling? I, there? I think they'll sit tight. I, you know, yep. if, if, I, if I had to bet right now, which I obviously do, mm-hmm. um, I'll say 25 basis points with softer language going forward, but it's conceivable they don't act six weeks from now because they want to assess trade. Yeah, and obviously it's happening after we record this, but Wednesday, Thursday, Powell has a semi-annual uh, testimony. To so, Congress, so yeah. we we could, you know, good old Humphrey Hawkins, so be, which is no longer Humphrey Hawkins. Exactly. But. So be on the lookout for that. So, but but like you said, he's probably going to leave the door wide open for a quarter a quarter cut. Now, John, one other thing that caught my attention. This year, I think one of the more fascinating things, you look at ETF inflows, outflows, Mm -hmm. there were actually more flows into bonds this year than there were into equity. Yeah, and then there were into equity ETFs. Now, these are ETFs, not mutual funds, but still, best year for stocks ever. My goodness, my contrarian spidey senses say that's probably bullish longer term. Yes, near term, we can have a correction. But when people still aren't really jumping on the train, putting money into equities over bonds, that that intrigues me. Well, that's been a, a trend over the past decade. Right. The data has clearly shown whether you look at Mutual fund flows, bond fund flows have right. outperformed equities, what, factor four or five? Yes. When you look at ETFs and bonds together, bonds are still exceeding that of ETFs. So, you know, it is the least loved bull market in history. Right. And when you look at other things like the equity risk premium, when you look at you know, the, the bond PE, if you will, relative to the equity PE, all those things would suggest there's plenty more room to run for equities, we just want to make sure any upward trajectory is fundamentally justified, not just based on free money. Now, John, we only have a couple minutes left, but there's potentially new leadership at the ECB. Um, you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, it was uh, that might have been a bigger development than the Fed meeting exactly. a couple of weeks ago right. because we had ECB head Mario Draghi 
essentially dumb, doubling down on negative interest rates, which you know had to infuriate all the conservative German central bankers who were vying for a potential seat, not only on the ECB board, but to be head of the ECB. Mm-hmm. So basically stuck it to the Germans by handcuffing that conservative central bank mindset, if you will, for Europe. So within a week after that comment, it was announced that Christine Lagarde, head of the IMF, was the, the leading candidate. So to the degree she gets it, the market is viewing that as a more ease Mm-hmm. on accommodative policies from Europe, which you know likely is necessary when you think about all that's going on. But Draghi has talked about it repeatedly for essentially a decade, saying that fiscal policy needs to work with monetary policy. And you've really not seen that. And I think that's why you're having such a wave of populist sentiment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's most magnified in what happened with Greece. We've gone from you know extreme, extreme left, if you will, in the Syriza party, to now center-right mm-hmm. uh, leadership being elected over the weekend. So you get that kind of rebound, you know, f- after four or five years. I think investors need to be mind- mindful of what's happening, you know, with what's happening in Europe and how this, a big part, I think, of this rise in populism has been that monetary policy has helped those with risk assets and has not helped those without risk assets, which is why you're seeing Scottish mm-hmm. referendum and Brexit right. and non-traditional candidates and non-traditional leaders globally. Hmm, interesting. So, John, I'll, I'll kind of sign off like this and let you bring us home. Thanks, John, for being here again this week. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for all of our listeners. I mean, this this podcast, we started August of last year. We continually every week seem to hit new highs and listens, new highs and people that have this downloaded on their phone. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. We really appreciate it. And we're going to keep doing it as long as people keep listening. So, John, take it away. I want Thank to make you. sure I joke with many of you who are listening today that it's, it's, it's a good length for a commute or time on a treadmill. And if you want to get in better shape, we'll go longer. You let us know. So everybody have a great day, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.